0: Episode of Wade In. We have so much to get through, and it's been a week of like uncertainty over here in the UK, political uncertainty anyway. Liz Truss out, Boris Johnson out the running, no one knows what's going on. But as typically in horse racing, Weeks go by, but really it's just the same thing, boys, because you've got the likes of Aidan O'Brien winning the for Futurity, you've got the Irish winning a load of races over here at Cheltenham. You've got people moaning about the cost of ticket prices, you've got the Johnson team winning some crappy French Group One race with a 20 grand yearling. I mean, it's just all pretty standard. It's just rinse and repeat type job. But we do have a special thing this week that's not standard. Kevin Blake has been nominated. Four, Drum roll, please, broadcaster at the end. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> what, what little, little, little remaining credibility to HWPA has had.
0: <laughs> <laughs> out the window it's gone. Yeah. Straight out the window.
2: I'm making the outsider a free against Josh Appialfian and I'm winning, But all the best, Kev. Oh, yeah, yeah no, no, we
1: we we, we better milk this now because the way it works is that they long list eight nominees. And it's, it's a really strong list, and only four go forward. So I have absolutely zero chance of being in the four. So yeah, we, we best milk it now. That was a good shout.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's milk it now. But he also, he's, I... he's, like, he's like a trader talking <laughs> down his horsey choke when he really fancies it. I, yeah, g- yeah g- it. give me a price, TC. We'll do some business. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was very intrigued and I want to know from you guys, from you, Kevin, did you have to write your own little bio? Because your little nomination was- <laughs> I can't even say this without laughing, brilliantly versatile, an original thinker who tackles serious issues insightfully but can also inject a sense of fun to his output. If I know? had
1: been if I'd been asked to write it, it would have been just like that. But I didn't. <laughs> <That's>
0: <laughs> thanks so very much.
1: Thanks for whoever wrote that. Thanks very much. Yeah, that's very, very flattering.
0: <laughs> now, TC, tons of you, fun. A tons of fun. I know what bollocks. You've <laughs> fun in your life. Clearly, You've
1: clearly never haven't been there. out. Clearly, haven't been on a night, on a night out with me.
2: I take a, I take a, I take a bit of uh, offence at the insightful stuff as well. Look,
0: uh, yeah, he's keeping
2: is... his light under a bushel, there, isn't he? <laughs> on the insight front. I could
0: face that. Oh, um, TC, we should bring him down a peg or two and talk about the flat naps table before we go any further. <laughs> Devin's just getting a rinsing here because uh, the naps table started on Guineas weekend I jumped in in July, I just want to point out, and it reads like this. Dan Barber, so this is from Racing Only Better, obviously. Dan Barber, plus 160 points, and he didn't tip a nap since Rohan winning the Wokingham on the 18th of June. How did that happen? Like, he must have got an absolute, he just must have, I don't know, had a brilliant start and then fallen off the edge of a cliff. But Rohan was a
1: million to one, that's what did it.
0: Yeah. Ah yes, so, uh, it was Vanessa, a very Big price
2: bet for SP. So yeah,
0: that's me, Vanessa, plus eighty five. <laughs> thank you very much. TC plus seventeen pulled sort of. I was going to say victory from the jaws of defeat, but it's not quite victory. But you finished with a flurry, didn't you, TC? No, uh, well,
2: I think she won flurry. Yeah, one
0: flurry. <laughs> and then this is the best bit. So just think about those numbers. Dan plus one sixty. Uh... Kevin Blake minus. 184 points.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's if that's fully correct, but I, I wouldn't say I have I have won this three of the last four seasons. No, so you know, exactly. I was I was I was too a bad one.
0: <laughs> also, no one cares. That's like you know, no one cares. I've won it three of the last four seasons. If no one cares, why
2: are we talking about it now? Let's move forward, about- Vanessa. Forward. it's It's not even a dark checkout.
0: You disgrace. <laughs> we're talking about this season, Kevin. And look, if you want to be, you know, we want to applaud you for your broadcast of the year nomination, but we've got to drag you down a peg or two because this is what is known as an absolute shocker. Come on, it's yeah. oh, crackled. Yes.
2: Nobody wants to hear about this. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're on. We're moving forward, Vanessa. pair <laughs> blinkers on. We're, we're
1: gone.
0: Uh, yeah, f- <laughs> focusing on the future, hey Kev. Um, but you, in you, le- let us know. we
1: trust and we go. <laughs> yeah.
0: Jesus Christ. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about the racing then, and we shall start with the Burton Faturity. Oh, August Rodan winning for the eleventh time for the Aiden O'Brien team was it? An eleventh win in the race for Aidan. Uh, now three to one from seven to one for the Derby and six to one from ten to one for the two thousand guineas. Um, A serious performance, I think, to start with, just such a tactically astute performance from the team. Obviously, the big split, Kevin, uh, majority of the field going far side, just a small collection coming near side, and um, just the way the race was run, a a lot has been focused in on how hard they went early on. What did you make of the performance?
1: Yeah, the sections were really interesting. They did go particularly hard early and they were were crawling basically late on. Um, Tactically, fairly unsatisfactory race, in fairness. You know, you don't know, fair play to to the the Valley Doyle team because they got it right, but it's unsatisfactory really to split in a a group one like that, two-year-old group one. Um, If we, you know, ever undertake my, my proposal to put all these races on the all-weather, you know, you wouldn't have this happening at all. Well, it wasn't the our temperature. surety lovely at Newcastle that year. Camico, subsequent Guinea's winner, but anyway. Um, yeah. August Rodan, like, I don't think that's his ground at all, in fairness. And um, yeah, the, the chat, as, you know, was made clear kind of in the last week or so, the chat about this fella has been huge all the way through. And um, I was hoping he might do something like this. And, and he duly did. You, you, you just you'd love him you know you love the way he goes about it you know he's absolutely um extracting the michael as i think i coined on, on friday um all the way you know inside the final furlong flicking his ears um he's won very very well um you know Epictetus has, has run very well in fairness he was off the bride the long way out i wouldn't say that would be his ground either um so while like you wouldn't want to be hanging your hat on the literal form too much Um, I'd say there's very little doubt that the best horse won, the best prospect won. And he's by deep impact out of rhododendron. Like you're going to be absolutely shocked if he isn't a better horse, um, quite possibly a significantly better horse um, next season. So he goes into the winter, the Derby Fav. He's, you know, he's he's, appeals to me as as the type that they could run in the guineas and, um, who knows, Vanessa? He could end up bidding for the triple crown. Oh, let's oh. get let's get really let's get really excited. Let's get in there first. So if we if we get to September 12th month, so that it's on, we can Barry can clip up this little bit and said, ha, Best Fair Podcast said it first. So there we go. August Rodan, let's get the best fair traders to get us a surprise for the triple crown. On Come we on go.
0: Unfortunately, Elzaruni's
2: Zaruni's eligible to have his uh, license back up, <laughs> so he might have something to say about that. <laughs>
0: Not again, not again, please. God, this suspension is over, isn't
1: he? He's just yeah. trading in Dubai now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. you had to come over Yeah. Here. yeah.
0: I love that build up to Camelot's Triple Crown. Oh, oh it was magic, wasn't it? It was so good, so good. I really remember it, it as just being class and then the disappointment, but anyway. Oh. Hey, um, I, I think I
2: think it's right. I think Mike Dillon had, had all the party organised back in London. He had all the oh. all the champagne on ice back from Doncaster to London on the train and stuff like that. Of course and he did. Uh. Along comes El
0: didn't anticipate the old needles, did he? Um, TC, do, do you see August Rodan as a guinea horse then? I mean, six to one now from tens. Do you see him as a guinea horse?
2: Um, yeah, possibly, possibly. Okay. But like Kev said, look at the look at the pedigree, and it's it's a mile two, mile four, all over, isn't it? So if he yeah. does, they'll probably go to the guineas like they normally do and, uh, and kick on from there, don't they? One thing we should say, I mean, we're going to talk about you know, about uh, running styles, etc. I mean, I mean, i have a little bit of a moan-up here. I mean, Salt Lake City, the stable mate, was back from 20s to 60s. Um, and as soon as he got on the front end there, on the near side, giving August Raylan and the he just knew he was like in there to, to make the pace rather than run on his own merits as such. So he's a little bit of a personal moan-up there. But then again, he could have gone out in front and, and stayed there, couldn't he? But so, yeah... Um, Well, yeah, as I said, we'll talk about tactics there. But as a horse, as Kev said, they've always loved this horse. As I said on Racing Only Better on Thursday. Spoke to Ryan before we did our our Royal Ascot preview in Dublin. um, And and that after he got beat on debut when when he should have beaten Crypto Force. And we know that form's good enough anywhere when the winner winner go out and win the Beresford. They just thought this was their derby horse from, from pretty much day one. So... Yeah, I think Epsom rather than Newmarket, but he'll probably take on the 2,000 on the way, didn't he? And, and who knows? I mean, that form stacks up really well. know you can question the ground, et cetera, and the, the running styles across the track. But he beat the Orton State second and third by three and a half lengths. And so it stacks up really, really
0: well. Come on, August Rodan for the Triple Crown. That's what we want. Heard it here first, a few months early. Yeah. Um, Let's cover a little bit of Newbury because obviously the Horace Hill down there. Um, both you boys tipped up the second horse in the end, but it was won by Knight for the Chrisfords. Uh, a bit of a bit of a surprise winner, ten to one. I think you went off. Yarmouth Maiden massive step up from that Yarmouth Maiden to take a, this Group race. Um, how do we think the form's going to stack up, Kev? Um, I,
1: I, look, it, they're extreme conditions, so you don't want to, as mentioned with, with the Vertem, you don't want to you know, go down the road of trotting this form out in the spring as rock-solid form that you can take literally, but um, like Knight, well, well, with Grey's monument, look, the hope was that he'd jump out, make the run and make use of all his experience and catch out some of the, some of the sexier ones um, for a bit of know-how, and he called it all of them bar knife. like. so you have to be impressed with him. This was just his second start. Um, and look he, he, you go back and you watch that, that first run and like he was notably green so for him to be able to step up to the extent that he did um, you know is a big credit to him like he's, he's got a really interesting pedigree like he's by Maymass who just he looks like the real, the real coming thing in terms of you know Sprinter Myler sires. like is he, he really probably shouldn't be producing really good two-year-olds in this crop because it would have been the weakest crop of mares covered in his career so far like and he's thrown up Persian Force and now this fella in amongst them so like I'd say he's a proper one it's a family that Jim Boulder has done quite well with um, Step A Mock and and a few of those Um, so like he's he's a full to Malavat like he should go on next year Um, like it's I think it's solid form without being hey ho I'm a classic winner in the making level but he looks a very nice
0: horse Okay, fair summary. Anything to add from New T C? Obviously, Magical Sunset one for the Hannon's the listed race. She's been introduced at 33s for the 1,000 guineas, and Knight, I should say, is a 25-to-1 shot for the 2,000 guineas. Do you want to add anything before we move on to Cheltenham?
2: Yeah, I mean, like Gray's Anatomy, the last thing you want to do when you, after you back the second, having a lump on the second, is log on to Twitter and see Betfair Barry giving it large on the racing post live, having having napped uh, night each night. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I thought was, I now I, I gave you way too much credit there, Tony. I thought there was going to be a lovely segue in there, having after you call him Grey's Anatomy. But
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know where he was going with that either. Grey's
2: I Monument. Know. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Barry, yeah. Barry did come across as a total monument there, didn't he? After as <laughs> the last one you want to know, but no, fair play to him. Um, it just just one thing I did say. I don't know much about the owners. Is it KHK Racing? Obviously they've had yeah. Elder Elder of this year and uh, having a
0: great time of it.
2: Yeah, I think they I think they're a big money kind of like Syndicate, aren't they? And, and just a nod to the season the Christfords have had. I mean, they're on fire at the moment. Uh, group one winners. Um, you know, they've had 70 winners at a strike rate of 23% this season. You know, you know, the likes of Beckett are having a great season, but the Christfords are of having you know having a really stellar one as well. So yeah, um, yeah, just a, just a footnote to that the owners involved uh, and the, and the season the trainers having.
0: Yeah, good time of it for them for sure. Uh, let's move on to Cheltenham TC. There's loads of different things we need to discuss around Cheltenham which we will get to in due course, but let's focus on the racing to start with. Um, the Masson's holding hurdle went where Pie Piper as predicted really. We've discussed their length on Racing Only better and it was pretty pretty straightforward I thought for Pie Piper in the end.
2: Yeah, the second was really weak in the betting. Um, but, you know, the third, uh, Joseph, Joseph's mare, she was very well back because she ran a really good race. But, you know, you just look at the, look at, I think you've got to just look at the quality in that two-mile division and you can't get carried away in, in terms of the champion hurdle. I mean, the, the Pied Piper's got a lot to find with, with Vauban, uh, obviously on the triumph hurdle form. And that's about factoring in Constitution Hill and Honeysuckle, State man. Um, You know, you just can't get overly, overly kind of like uh, enthusiastic about his champion hurdle claims, but it was a really, really good comeback. You know, if he's run to a mark of 150 there, he's going to have to improve maybe 20, 25 pounds this season if everything goes to plan. Yeah, he was a very, very, very good return in terms of Cheltenham. Shouldn't we be talking about in terms of Cheltenham, should we? Um, In terms of Cheltenham in March, it's Barely a ripple on the, in the market.
0: Barely a ripple. Would you would you concur those thoughts, Kevin? Um, yeah, look,
2: we talk about it all the
1: time, don't we? Or certainly we do, you know, about these four-year-olds coming into open company. Like it's really, really difficult historically, and it's easy to get to get overexcited about them as people currently are at Vauban because it, it's like it, it's it's a very small number that are ca- that are capable of making that jump. Um, but I suppose the proviso you, you, you'd set alongside that as STC alludes to there like the champion hurdle division outside of the biggest guns is it looks windy. it's looked windy for years and years there's no depth. plenty of them are going to go chasing and do up and trip et cetera so like it wouldn't be a shock if one of these four-year-olds can end up you know somewhat getting in the mix, albeit at a respectful distance to, to the front too. Um, but yeah, look, good return, horse I like last season, best delivered late, I'd say, um, delighted with the third, uh, Bella Centilla, um, you might be seeing her again, um, reasonably soon, there's a, there's a nice race coming up for her at, um, at Down Royal, if it doesn't come too soon, great tree mares, novice hurdle, um, so it just depends how, how she is between now and then, but um, yeah, I'd say she'll go forward, she's, she has experience over fences and all, so she's going to be a very fun mare, it's a, From Philly, I should say.
0: Yeah, and let's uh, stick with Cheltenham. The handicap chase over the two miles won by Dad's Lad, Kevin, uh, for Team Mullins, but Brian Hayes in the saddle, having his first Cheltenham winner, and I thought he gave it an excellent, excellent ride.
1: Yeah, absolutely did. Just just came and nipped Efrenok Fizz late on. Um, Like Willie, there's a stat out there, like I don't have it on the tip of my tongue, but like Willie's record in handicap chases in Britain is absolutely awful, like always has been. Like he hardly has any winners in handicap chases. And I know like most of his runners in them will be in, you know, big, valuable handicap chases, but he wins very, very few of them. And this was a lesser sort of contest, but a good pot all the same. And yeah, lovely ride from, from Brian. He would have got a good kick out of that. Have to say, though, I did feel sorry for the second and, and her connections. Um, they've done a great job, but since since they got her, it was punchy to come over and run off. Um, as we talked about in racing, racing only better, like an elevated, um, chase mark in Britain. And we said, that kind of, the worst case scenario was that you get nipped, and um, you know. She she wins 14 grand for finishing second but the she was she's only rated 114 over fences in Ireland she ran off 133 here she's going to get absolutely hammered um but look fair play to them they've been really punchy with the way they've campaigned her she won the welsh champion hurdle from out of the handicap you know she's nearly won another big one here um you know quite badly wrong with the weights so um fair play to keen collins he's getting that he's getting a mighty tune out of her and um, i hope she wins another very big pot for them at some stage of the season because um they've been good and punchy with her
0: yeah we like that bit of brave campaigning but myself delighted for dad's lad and the connections of the winner um Tony, should we use this opportunity to talk about Editor Dujit and the mm-hmm. running style and the drift, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. This was sort of well documented on social media afterwards. Editor Dujit, as we know, a normal front runner normally goes out in front as one races from the front. That's how he's always been ridden. And then they change the running styles. They have a mid div, or you know, they don't do the front running tactics with him. A couple of questions from the team, uh, from the listeners. We should just. Give them a shout-out now. Chris, Dawn Approach fan, has asked two massive drifters yesterday, Editor Ajit and Came from the Dark. Both changed their usual running tactics. Someone seemed to know, is it time to adopt the Aussie model where connections lay out riding tactics pre-race? And Sean Rogers has basically asked the same, asking if should stewards look more closely and ask connections for explanation post-race where where necessary on running tactics. Um, This was a bit of a shocker, wasn't it, TC, with editor Ajit?
2: Just one of the questions uh, uh, mentioned came from the dark, and that was an absolutely extraordinary drift. Um, yeah, that went off at twenty four a bet for SP, but I didn't have many. I didn't have much truck with that ride. That one got, but it was just someone knew that horse wasn't going to run up to expectations. Although it ran okay in fifth, but obviously it to just use the one that people latched onto, it was around about a seven to two chance in in the morning on, on the exchange and. It was just an absolutely remarkable drift. I mean, the bet for SP, I think, was 8.4 against an industry SP of 6 to 1, but you could get at least a point bigger. I think it was, like I saw it trading at 9.2, 9.4. And, you know, obviously, when that's pre-race and when it's a normal front runner, and then you, when you see it's held up, uh, all his best runs have been when forcing tactics, then obviously people, people you know, are going to cry foul. Um, And it's important in these circumstances, at the very least, that the stewards, you know, get the trainer in and ask him about it. Now, as regards, you know, the Gary Moore and the trainer, you can make a defence there. Uh, On his last two seasonal starts, he has made the running and has underperformed on his first start of the season, as we outlined on Racing Only Better on, on Thursday. Five of the seven were, uh, were potential forward goes in here. So if you are going to go out in front on the first, uh, first run of the season, it could have been counterproductive. So, you know, you, I, I can see both sides here. However, the most important thing is the market knew beforehand that horse wasn't going to make the running as he normally does. And that's the big issue here. I mean, someone obviously knew that they weren't going to go out from the front. Anybody who backed that horse uh, from Thursday morning onwards uh, up to right to off were, were doing so in the expectation that horse was going to go out in front uh, and run like he normally does, and he didn't. Um, he ran a really, really promising race in all the circumstances. But, yeah, it's at the very, very least, like I say, I can see both sides here, but I do feel sorry for anybody who did back the horse, uh, you know, leading up to the race because – they didn't get the ride they were expecting, and the stewards should be asked. I mean, if, if you remember, I mean, I think mean, we had a question about two or three weeks ago. I mean, Graham Rodway from the Racing Post got absolutely slaughtered by saying we should adopt the Australian model. If there are going to be a change of tactics, tell this, at least tell the stewards beforehand. And I know he obviously talks a lot of shite most of the time, but <laughs> I mean that was, you know, that was a very fair comment. And he got unfairly ridiculed for that as well. Um, so yeah. It is a tricky one. But like I said, I'm, I'm the, I am I'm mean, most I don't know what the TV stations did about it because I was watching a place where the sound was down. But at the very the least, club. the TV stations kind of like have to at least acknowledge that and call it out and question it. And certainly the stewards do, because, you know, a lot of the time punters can take it on the shin. They can see both sides of it. But what they don't like is for the stewards not to acknowledge it and ask the question.
0: Kev, anything else to add? This is probably, I mean, you're you are a big one for the stewards, you know, should be doing their job and asking the questions post-race about these sort of things. I suppose you probably concur with what a lot of what Tony said there. That's
1: it, yeah. Look, as we stand, the stewards aren't doing their job if you don't ask a question there. Um, like, look, I know, I know sometimes these things can look worse than they are, but there's certainly a, a very negative way to view this like in a, in a perfect world, as TC says, like there was perfectly legitimate reasons why they might want to have changed tactics, you know, first run of the season, maybe he had it interrupted prep. We all saw the race, read the race, you know, lots of pace on paper. It wasn't an unreasonable thing to maybe want to ride a little bit quieter, but, you know, it, it is 2022 and if you're going to do that, um, like in a perfect world, you might just say it even, on, even like everyone gets interviewed before the races now, you might just give it a mention, say, hey, look, we're going to, we're going to ride a little bit quieter today see how we go hopefully he runs well and then you know no one can say they aren't in the picture after that um, as tc says in oz you know you have to notify if there's a change of tactics is that taking it too far you could have that debate but at least you know where you stand and um, and you know if for example gary moore had gone on tv beforehand and said right we're going to ride a bit quieter he probably would have drifted on that basis but again, everyone would be able to make an informed decision if they were if they're in and if they're on the horse pre, pre those comments and wanted to bail out, they could do that uh, probably at a cost. But um, yeah, just a bit of transparency. It's 2022, you know, this type of thing, I suppose, was a bit more, um, a bit more accepted, you know, 20, 30 years ago. You know, he's almost certainly going to rock up in, in a very valuable race back at Cheltenham in a few weeks. And uh, if if one dared to be cynical, you'd say he'd be given a much more positive ride there. Um you know it's part of the game to an extent, but we, I think, we're we, we can it's not unreasonable to expect a little bit more transparency. Any,
2: any, just for Anybody who looks at betting who bets every day of the week knows the fact you can look at the market beforehand and pretty much know what's going to make the running or if there's going to be a change of styles, etc. So, you know, this is not an isolated incident, but it was just a very high profile race on ITV where everyone knew beforehand or well, the market strongly indicated that horse wasn't going to go from the front because if it went from the front that what, what was a seven to two chance in the morning would have been a five to two chance very, very quickly afterwards here. It was eight to one plus um, on the, on, on betfair before the off, everyone knew, you know, that price wasn't going to shift because it wasn't going to go to the front. But yeah, look, all, okay. the important thing is stewards have to do their job and ask the questions. That's sort all. Of yeah.
0: Let's move on. A um, couple of other races to discuss from Cheltenham. Um, the Three Mile Novices Chase, Kev, Chemical Energy winning a pretty poxy affair that basically seemed to somewhat fall apart and then gets cut from 50 to 1 to 12 to 1 for the National Hunt Chase in March. Um, pretty standard fare, I guess.
1: No English declaration for this race. No. Uh, uh, and we're looking to have the Irish coming over.
0: <laughs> like, <it's> just, <laughs> i mean like that
1: uh, it, 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 that that is a shocker you know, yeah. and we, we take the make, etc but come on that there's something wrong with your race program and if you can i know people talk with the ground etc but you know england's a big country not lot of national hunt horses in there lads. britain i should say you can't you can't get a runner in a novice chase at your at your you know most high profile track at, at quite a big meeting come on like there's something, there's something bad. Well, we know there's lot, lots of things badly wrong with national hunt racing, but oh, wasn't a great start for the national hunt season proper, was it? In this regard, yeah. but yeah. like the winner's a smart horse. In fairness, yeah. um, chemical energy. Look, will he be in the mix there in the spring for for a race like the national hunt chase? Um. He'd be surprised if he wasn't kind of a, a you know trying to do one shot and if he got that far but who knows look i don't want to knock him i'm damning him with faint praise at the minute but just but it's not a race i'd like to hang my hat on too too heavily
2: just just as a sign i mean like made a point was saying they got some 66s for the national Hunt chase yeah
0: yeah i saw race. that
2: um and also the horse is going to go straight there which is a obviously a massive yawn up for anybody else apart from <laughs> the road to Cheltenham jobbers but yeah I mean he's going to follow exactly the same pass of Galvin last year isn't he so um or two yeah, two years ago even yeah two years ago so don't so make of that what you will but yeah I mean just we we should mention the the Irish kind of like not domination but they did win seven of 14 races at Cheltenham and, and the last five on on Saturday I think it was as well wasn't it so yeah, yeah, I mean I, it's like I said it's like I know it was like they declared on oh, good to firm good in places, but everybody saw everybody saw the uh, the rain forecast for, for Friday. So it's yeah, it's it, it, very disappointing, but there's clearly something a big problem with novice traces in this country, isn't there? Because they just seem to be hiding.
1: Yeah, and they've made some changes there. You know, they made that announcement the other day about some immediate changes there with a view to next year. And in fairness, like I think they do see that you have to be blind not to see it, but I think they do see some of the issues there. And I see off the top of my head, I know they're converting a whole bunch of novice chases in the first half of the season to novice handicaps, which is a great move. That's something I've been roaring about for a few years. Makes perfect sense. Um, More of that, please. Trust uh, me, Kevin. Okay. They
0: they know that changes need to be made. Made. I'm sat on the jumps, Race pattern committee. I'm I'm on the committee. I've sat in on the first meeting. So oh, you, 20...
1: we are going to hold you yeah. accountable, yeah. Sylvanus. So. Oh,
0: this is good. <laughs> <Since> <laughs> come I, on, to... come on,
1: then to, to defend
0: yourself. What is? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I recently joined the committee and I've attended my first meeting and my our second meeting. And there's one more essentially this year. And trust me, changes are being made and you know there is a push and there is a drive like people they're not just sat there thinking this is hunky dory trust me um how
2: how
0: many trainers
1: are are on the committee
0: um four four i think four yeah.
1: yes so it is, it's uh, now it's just a general comment because I, I i would have some insight as well i'm on the flat pattern committee in ireland and look i just look at us uh, just, I just, just uh, <laughs>
0: dictating the race program <laughs>
1: no I, I just i think trainers are always a tricky one because look they obviously they, they deal with the program day in day out and they have a great amount of insight but they also have a great amount of self-interest i suppose <laughs> and uh Yo, it's look. a tricky one you know especially with, with national hunt racing in particular like i think for me the program you know they need to go in with a sword and just start, you know, not not just picking and uh, picking and flake, and they need to start knocking chunks out of it. And that can be a difficult thing to stomach when you know you have owners to satisfy that want races to run in, etc. But I think greater, you know, awareness of the greater good is what's needed here. Because, like, if the if if the boat had got cancelled to Cheltenham for all these Irish trainers, what would this meeting have looked like? You know, what that's literally, literally what would this meeting have looked like without any Irish runners? Um, and take them all out of those results there and look at those races. And it's absolutely terrifying.
0: Changes are coming, Kev. Stand by for changes. Let's move on. Another Edith, Irish...
1: her de, de Geed would have won without the Irish <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, We wouldn't have been complaining about that, yeah. Um, another Irish winner shoot first. Another, you know, Charles Burns takes big flat handicap a couple of weeks ago with Run for Oscar and then strikes again in the Potemps Qualifier. TC um, absolutely bolted in this horse, um, I, I thought. I mean, cosy yeah. as you like and back to do it.
2: Yeah, I mean... Would be massively surprised if they just kept this one and didn't run it to the potence. Now, would you? I mean, I mean, everyone saw how well he won. Uh, two lengths of a mark of 129. You know, considering he beat a really well handicapped horse in Botox horse, um, with that you know, like degree of comfortableness, I think you're probably looking at a seven, eight pound rise. Is that can that probably gets him into the attempts already, wouldn't it, Kevin? In, yeah, in say most likely.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, like I mean, that horse won really, really well, didn't it? So yeah, I mean, if they can get him there on the day of a mark of 136, 137, of you know, going up seven, eight pounds for that. Um they'll be more delighted. Yeah, I mean it's it's just a, a I and mean, the definition of my definition of of a of a top flight trainer is not not in the kind of horses that they They train It's the way they train them, and I always remember. You remember David Johnson, who who used to have all these horses with Pipe, etc. He always said to me that you know, you know, he had horses with various trainers and stuff like that. But he said, Martin Pipe told you when they were going to win." And he said, "So that to me, as a punter and as an owner, is invaluable because that that to me is a definition of a a brilliant trainer. They know when their horses are going to win." Now, you know, we we'll talk about betting being a dirty word in. In the in the media and on TV, etc. But that's what generates the sport. And you know, that was a really well back winner, wasn't it? And I think that was 11 to 2 into 9 to 4. And he's just he just knows when his horses are going to run well. Invariably he knows anyone. Yeah, yeah, look,
1: it's one of those uh, Charles was split opinion. Like all of these kind of I suppose um betting focused trainers, you know, do in the modern age, you know, they do split opinion and he's obviously had his his, his troubles in Ireland in particular. But like in fairness, one thing whether you love him or hate him, you can't deny that he's a really, really good trainer. Like he really is. And it's well established, you know, going back, you know, 10 plus years. Like when he, when he happens to get a good one, he does a great job with them. You know, so uh, comes to mind, um, but you know, when, it, when he, he he's just an unbelievable target trainer. You know, that's Cesaro with Twitter the other day. You know, this fella, I'd say TC could be right now. I'd say we'll see very little of this fella between now and Cheltenham, maybe one run. He's qualified. He's going to land on a perfect rating for it, really. You know, last year was a bit of an aberration. Something You know, there was horses in the low 120s getting in. Normally, low to mid 130s is what you want. He's going to be, you know, there, thereabouts. So we 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 heard Charles after he won the Cesare, which, you know, he's clearly thinks about this a lot. You know, he went to Haydock with that horse because he was afraid he might not quite get in um, off, his, off his previous off his rating at the time. So he's very much thinking about these things and I'd say he'll find himself in a, in a lovely, lovely spot with Shoot First now, ratings wise.
2: Before I forget, before we move on, Kev, there's apparently there's a market up for the Triple Crown. What price would you go August Rodin for the Triple Crown? Oh. Don't look
1: at your don't look at your phone. I think it, at this stage you'd have to go thirty trees, would you? Fi- no, not fifty. <laughs> 25s or thirty trees. Yeah, thirty trees.
2: Thirty trees on the sport.
0: Thirty
1: trees. There you go. Oh, I really hope you are go.
0: going to be a mile off there, but anyway. Um, ah,
1: this, 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 uh, this uh, you know, tissue price used to be my bread and butter, Vanessa. I've got a uh, yeah, grounding in this yeah. sort of thing.
0: Yeah, fair, fair. Um, I, always we do, on, I always do
1: spot, spotlights and tissues for the sportsmen of the race and post when you were still in short trousers or whatever you wore back short in. Short trousers. Back in your youth. Yeah. Just a long <laughs> skirt, actually. <but> anyway.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, before we move on, just a couple of two-year-old performances to mention over in France. I I wrongly actually take the Michael out of uh, Dubai Mar winning the Criterium de saint cloud Kev, because uh like both Proud and Regal who won the group what the group won just before the Criterium International over the mile, then Dubai Mile uh, wins the Criterium de Saint-Cloud over the 10 furlongs. Both of them in heavy ground, two-year-olds, tough as teat performances, I thought, in fairness to them, really like battling back at the line. You know, like both of them have been good performers all season long and now they've got their group ones. Similar sorts of profiles in a way.
1: Yeah, like this was a traditional, um, as as these races often are. Um come on, France Gallo. Maybe change. I know they've changed a few times in the past, but these race names are just, just ripe for confusion, aren't they? Call one of them the criterion something and call the other one something else. Come on. Um it's just annoying, isn't it?
0: Yeah, no, it <laughs> is a criterion. Um, just
2: bear a thought for the French. You got the Irish coming over here and shafting the English, and the English <laughs> go over there and shaft the French. It's uh, a knock-on
0: effect, it's a domino yeah. effect.
1: Yeah, we've talked we've talked about the French, like I think they like, geez, they're really struggling to keep their group ones at home for the last few years they're really struggling um that they, they had they had the winner of the the staying race this weekend but oh it's it's been rough for a few years for them now um big fundamental issues there and it goes to show lads. Um, prize money isn't the only answer they've got loads of prize money loads of premiums and um they can't keep their races at home but there we go um proud and regal um really really tough great for gavin ryan his first group one winner um, obviously a stable jockey, and it would have been a very sweet one for him. Um, you'll remember he got um, he got he got jacked off Pisbede for the derby which would have been a real blow for him this year. Um, so thrilled for him the, the the wheel always turns it comes back around. Um, so he got his, his first group 1 in the bag here and like the, the jockey ship was important here because clearly you wanted to be near side and grabbing that rail was very important and that that was the winning of the race for for Gavin there. I'm proud and regal. Um, I dare say typical son of Galileo just kind of keeps improving, have finished second to Al Riffa in the national stakes and, and drove forward again here. Um, like Galileo, we're not going to see loads more of them. And he had he hasn't had too many winning stakes, stakes winning two year olds this season. So um to get a group one at the back end but was nice for him. I think he's closing in on like a hundred individual group one winners. Um, I think this was like 97 or something. So nice. it'd be it'll be it'd be cool if he could hit that mark before um the last of them finishes up. And um Dubai Mile, um, look again, tough, hardy kind of a bit of you know, typical cliche, Mark Johnson, Charlie Johnson type of horse, you know, just keeps battling away. A mile two for a two-year-old, and this ground was just brutal. Um and f- to bring in the pedigree angle again, son of Roar line Um, you know, be be bittersweet for, for the Tween Hills crew, I'm sure. Because he obviously only, only sired one crop before he passed away, um, so to get a group one winner would have been a a real source source of satisfaction for for those guys. And um, there was he was actually in the horse and training sale this week, and he was there was talk was he was going to go to it, but they've withdrawn him now, and it sounds like that they're going to hold on to them, hold on to him with a view to next year. And sure, he, look he's going to stay very well, isn't he? And he will certainly be a mile and a half horse, and maybe even um, a ledger horse. In the fullness of time, and then um, well done to Charlie and Mark. They bought him for twenty thousand euros for, 20, 000 and he act- and he actually has a really good pedigree on his damn side. So, um, oh, bore off to- Blake, bore
2: off.
0: Uh,
1: what? What's boring <laughs> <forward> about that?
0: <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not. But we're just getting told off for taking okay. too long on yeah, the but, criteria but, but, but look,
1: there's always there's always a reason why they don't make money when they have pedigree like that. You know, it's normally some veterinary. Um, concern or you know an X ray issue or, or something like that, and you know Charlie and Mark Johnson kind of make their make their bread and butter by um, buying well bred horses for small money that, that fall through for some reason, and um, they don't all work out. But uh, this fellow is making up for plenty that didn't work out by, by winning the Group One
0: for Green Team Racing and Danny Muscat as well. Another uh, happy jockey angle. I think a lot of people are very pleased for Danny Muscat, very pleased for the owners as well. Um, That was a rattle through the review of the racing from the weekend. Uh, Let's move on to our sort of news and views section. TC, Tom Seagal, it was racing, uh, it was Safer Gambling Week, sorry, I should say it was Safer Gambling Week last week. Uh, Lots of good content going out in written form and also on the TV as well. Um, And Tom Seagal came out with, there was a sort of like, well, I'll read it out to you. Uh, It was in the Racing Post on, I think, Saturday, um, Remember, gambling is not a way to make money as the headline and it's just a very short little section. It says everyone is different and what is right for one individual may not suit others. However, the key as far as I'm concerned is to never ever think of gambling as a way to make money. Treat it just like any other entertainment expense. Compare gambling to going to a football match or the cinema or an evening out. That way you can set yourself a limit because if it costs you a fortune to go see a film, you simply wouldn't do it. Mm. TC, this caused a fair amount of uproar. Just explain why.
2: Well, I suppose if you if you made your living about, you know, tipping and trying to advise people down the right path, then it's quite a surprising thing for people to say. Now, I would say a couple of things, and this might be a bit hard. I mean, Tom wouldn't be the greatest writer. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of people, again, this might not be the right thing to say, but a lot of journalists are asked, asked to write articles do so on sufferance so whether or not again he's been thrown under the bus by the headline again um i didn't have a massive issue with what he said because i i was very surprised i was with someone who knows him really really well on saturday and i was very surprised that uh, tom's not really a gambler uh apparently he's, he's very low key low stakes punter um so someone said on Twitter, he's only a fifty-pound maximum punter, and I just said to the guy I was with, "Is this true?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, he's, he's never been, he's never been that kind of punter." So if you are a small-staking individual, what what he said there holds true, and it's and it's true to him. Now, if you ask me, you know, the reason why I tip, the reason why I bet, it's hundred percent to make money. So I totally disagree with what Tom says there, and I think I think people are just, you know, not really kind of like looking into what he's trying to say. I don't think he articulated it very well because if you are a tipster and if you are betting, you know, you, you know, and in responsible gambling week, part of responsible gambling week is trying to bet more effectively as well. I mean, you know, you've got to, you know, if you don't really take it that much seriously, and you do, you know, whether you talk about fun bets or interest bets, and you know, this is this is my, you know, I, I bet instead of play golf once a week, it's not the right route for people to go down. But Look, I respect his point of view there. I fundamentally disagree with it, and but I think the, I think you know people piling on him, and it, like I said, it, and it wasn't it wasn't that severe. Uh, I think they're a bit, little bit wider the mark here. But no, do I do I agree with any of the comments? No.
0: Kev, what did you think of his, his message?
1: I understand that. I understand that why it, why it appeared like that last week it was last week and. You know, it's important to, I suppose, to get to get that message across. I so just, uh, just to kind of sidetrack slightly. Like you wonder, um, does such coverage appear around, you know, the financial sector, financial markets, you know, um, trading and shares, etc. You know, are they obliged to hammer home this, this safer gambling message as much as as we are, because it's effectively the same thing, you know, trading in shares and. Financial markets, etc. You know, it's all gambling. It's all risk. And you know, I just, I know one could argue that that betting is is more accessible than than shares and stocks, etc. I don't necessarily think it is in this
0: day and age. No, I was just it's just not say not in this yeah. day and age. A friend of mine downloaded an app recently to uh, do a bit of buying and selling of stocks and shares, and um, she tried to make her first investment, and it gave her a warning message that basically said we're not going to allow you to do this because you very clearly don't understand what you're doing. Oh,
1: Jesus. Yeah. Like well, the algorithm well, must have. Yeah. yeah well, well, this is it. You know, you can buy shares on Revolut and that. I think, at the, you know, as far as, as I know. Personally. But uh, like, it, it's just, it just, I just always think it's a funny double standard. Like if you walked into a room there with a bunch of strangers and they said, oh, you know, you picked up your phone and you're playing with your phone and say, oh, what do you do there? You know, if you said, oh, I'm having a, having a few quid on the one in, on one and two o'clock at NACE or you said oh just, just just checking my share portfolio you know maybe make a reinvestment <laughs> you know the difference in reception you get from you'll yeah. be, be quite stark so true we get we get a tough out deal don't we in the in the in the punting on racing game don't we
0: yeah that is very true um, a couple of other points to talk about, guys. Uh, the BHA and the watering of the tracks, TC, this is something that wound you up a bit midweek and leading into the weekend, obviously. Different weather forecasts, and we got a lot of rain in the end, but um, once again, not overly clear how much water had been put down yeah, on it's, certain it's, tracks. I,
2: I'll deal with this very quickly. Um, the, uh, the BHA should tell Clark of the Courses and all tracks to put on, ev- to just record everything that they do at their track leading up to the event. I mean, now at Cheltenham, I did an anti-post column last. Um, I wrote it on Monday. Uh, I checked for prices on Tuesday. When I went to file, there was not one word uh, of, of Cheltenham watering at the track. Now, lo and behold, on Wednesday, it just said, oh, we're uh, continuing to to water selectively around around the course. I mean, that's the first I heard about it. And, and that's what with, uh, with rain forecasts on, on the Friday. So, I mean, and, and the problem is we, the, we can't really complain as the media or something like that if we don't demand of our you know, people uh, our tracks of the course. Just tell us what you're doing. I don't care. You know, people can just say, oh, I don't factor in water in a tour, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact is, it went from good to firm, good in places to good to soft by the end of the day after 11 mil. Uh, on on friday did water have an effect of, of that dramatic change in, in going i don't know but i'd like to know so basically it's very simple if you're watering a track tell us how much you're putting on don't don't hide away and and the, the media and tv should ask them i know cheltenham are you know they're, they're a very important track in in, in in many people's coverage but it doesn't uh, doesn't stop people asking very easy and very sensible questions. And I didn't see anybody asking that. If, if, if they did, fine. But no, it's, it's quite simple. Just tell us what you're doing.
0: Yeah, transparency is key again. We all want transparency, essentially. And um, let's move on to Cheltenham prices, bit of a sore subject. Obviously uh, news came out in the week that Cheltenham was gonna remain at four, the Cheltenham festival is gonna remain at four days instead of stretching out to five days. And we all applaud the jockey club and Cheltenham and Cheltenham are all in our good books. And then bang, back down to earth this weekend because load of punters and race goes go racing. And they find that they have to drink pints of Guinness out of paper cups for an extortionate price. And then on top of that, um, was it £7.50 for a pint I think it was, um, and so that's €8.60 and just a lot of expensive food and drink basically, the sort of cost of the day out really being highlighted and this was hammered home by one of the questions we had, which we'll bring in now, that came from David that got a huge reaction on Twitter. He said, me and the wife and one child went to Cheltenham on Saturday. Mr's bag was searched and told food needed to go in the bin as not allowed to take any in. We can just about afford to go racing at the minute, but can't afford extortionate food and drink prices on top. We won't be going back in November, TC.
2: Yeah, I mean, I when I ask the questions on a Sunday, normally I, I've never known a reaction to this. Uh, and he got a lot of follow up questions, a lot of follow up debating before we, we're addressing it here. The first thing to say is that that I'd probably know it's probably in their terms and conditions that you know you don't bring your own food and etc. But I think it's I think that's that has to go. Um, like you said, I mean, a lot of people there were stories of paying you know ten and a half quid for a burger. I think one person said there was ten and a half quid for a pork roll, but if you wanted crackling, it was an extra four quid. So I don't know if that. You can't be charging 14 and a half quid for a, oh, a pork roll and, and crackling, can you? But in
1: fairness, what kind of an animal likes crackling
2: anyway? Yeah, yeah, well, It <laughs> should be financially <laughs> punished anyway. for such a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, but it's, like, it's, it's got to the stage where by now, if that, if that, and I did have a follow up chat with the guy actually who said that. Um, and he just said, "Look, he said, I, I I know where I'm coming from. He's just like I can't afford, you know, to go there and pay drinks and stuff like that. And I think, like I said on Twitter, it's particularly repellent when they're taking food out and binning it in the current climate. And also when you're going, I think the the most, the, you know, the a lot of people's sympathy here will, will, will hinge on the fact that he was going in with a child as well." I mean, everyone, you know, you're going in for the track for five and six days. Charles are fussy eaters. They might, you know, and, and a, lot of, not a lot of kids, you know, won't have a certain diet as well. The younger they are, I mean, the, the, the more obvious they get. And you can't have a situation whereby you're binning perfectly good food and put, putting off uh, race girls. They just want to go there for the racing. They don't want to get kind of like, it's not a racing specific thing. We all know, we go to any sporting event, you are going to get your trousers taken down at the bar um and it's just not <laughs> don't like to sound of that
0: <laughs> jesus christ watch out actually it, it take not. Down at the
2: bar. i'll pay 17.50 for a pint let alone seven pound fifty yeah but um no like said, it's it, it like i said it really resonated with a lot of people including yeah. a, a lot of the press guys as well just saying that this has got to stop richard hall made a really good point he said The demise of people taking in their own cars and getting access from the course, they can go there if it starts pissing down or go there for their own sandwiches, etc. You know, there's a lot of good reaction to that positive reaction about what the courses can do. But, you know, taking away, you know, people bringing in food for their kids and themselves for the day when they're paying, you know, good money to come through the gates and they don't want to just like... Don't want to play extortion of prices. It does need to be looked at. Some courses allow you to take your own drink and food in. Cheltenham, I think, have to look at following suit there.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's loads of, I mean, I, I was uh, reading, I think Lydia Hislop got into a debate on Twitter with somebody about, you know, how food and drink at any race course, they should be done differently. There's a real opportunity to showcase sort of local food, local produce, have like a proper food hall and some variety. So you don't just have to eat, a greasy burger for eighteen quid or whatever it was at Cheltenham. um So look, I tell, I you, I tell you,
1: you, funny enough, and I said it got no coverage at all. Of what I saw from what I could see, but the Curra a few weeks ago had a local food oh, you event. Said,
0: yeah, you
1: said Yeah, that. I did I, I can't, I can't remember if I mentioned. You it said on here, that it geez, was brilliant. It was really yeah. good. Yeah, it was really good. I know it's not something you could do every day, probably, but um it's a great shout because, geez if you if you went in there hungry now, you could have had anything under the sun. Um, you know uh, it was great and it was all you know reasonably priced etc look it's a tricky thing isn't it look that these are clearly bad experiences for race goers and you need to be we we don't need race goers to be having bad experiences because we really need them we need people that are you know happy to go racing for the racing you know (laughs) there surely be demand for an enclosure or access to an area where like tc says you can drive in with your own food your own your own drink if you want that and blast away like we saw Fire Hills the other day. Um, like that essentially is a giant, essentially a giant royal ask car park party for mm-hmm. for a race meeting. You know, people drive in with their picnics, with their drink, and they have a great day. You know, it's expensive enough to get in, I believe, but um, they have a great day. They bring their own, they bring their own bits, and um yeah like for, for, for people that just want to go racing wouldn't it be a lovely option to have you know some people are happy to go in and pay the prices have the, the, the race course experience you know in hospitality facilities but you'd like to think that even a premium track in fairness like Cheltenham would offer uh, a slim down option to those that just want to go for the racing and are happy to bring in their own bits and pieces
2: 5,000 students there on at Cheltenham on Saturday so yeah make them pay and subsidise the rest <laughs>
0: Um where are they getting twenty nine
2: quid from anyway to go in there? Yeah. Yeah. Students,
0: uh, students uh. are rich these days. Um, As they
1: they used to say at Soccer AM have a wash and get a job
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right guys we've already covered a good few of the questions it's question time now um, including the running style questions we have given you guys a name check other food and drink questions sort of Paul Smith sent in a question Shawnee McCarthy as well Paul um, all about basically what we've just been discussing the cost of food and drink at Cheltenham which we all agree um, is crap basically Um, so let's move on to a few more general questions one from the McNeil family on twitter their twitter handle um, i thought this was quite interesting kev this can come your way hundreds of horses at tipperary and schooling races on tuesday more on wednesday as well as other places in ireland cost 100 euros a horse why do we continue not to have these in great british racing could use flat track at cheps though day after racing next week help courses financially
1: yeah they're, they're really a really important um, option for irish trainers like they're huge like i go to them quite regularly like and they're they're hugely like oversubscribed at times like they will literally around turlist there they'll literally be running three schooling bumpers simultaneously around the same track they'll jump off in waves and like the ground is you know the likes of tipperary and that had to be hot deep but they, they go there and they have a, a canter round and it's, it's a really important part of conditioning the horses. And uh, you know, I know Willie Mullins, huge user of them. All the big trainers. Um, and they're doing quite well at the minute, so it doesn't seem to do them any harm. And yeah, you, you'd wonder why And look availability of ground is a thing, you know, the likes of tireless and Tipperary, you know, they do it right on the inside where they never race, you know, it's, it's it's a tight line on ground. It's never raced on, but they can go in and, you know, plow it up like a plowed field and, and not upset the racing surface. So accessibility of ground might be an issue, but there's surely some tracks around the country that could, that could offer the facility.
0: Yeah, you think so for sure. Um, Mac has asked not so much a question but yesterday's three mile novice chase of five entries was for them being Irish based just plain embarrassing we've kind of covered that Glenn Liddell has fired in a question about the going measurements which TC I think we've kind of already covered with the watering discussion transparency is key. Uh, Ian Mackey any news on the Irish rights from 2024 onwards yet I don't think I think we're all drawing a blank on that waiting to hear still right. Yeah. yeah, I
1: think there, there was a deadline for some sort of information HRI wanted was last Wednesday, so there was hope that they might get there might be an announcement um, soon after that, but it hasn't come yet, so we wait okay. with Beta breath.
0: We do indeed. Uh, Kirsty H has asked, uh, TC, this one's for you. Not sure there's an answer, but the last couple of weeks I've done the play spots and then there have been mass withdrawals taking races to win only or first two. Had I known I'd have played differently, wish there was some way of cashing out or voiding when that happens.
2: I'm afraid not. It's always it's always gone on to the favourite, hasn't it? Or the lowest race card number that's faded in, in the case of joint favourites. It's just just unlucky, isn't it? It's, it's like when you have an each-way bet with a fixed odds bookmakers and it goes from eight to seven. You just have to lump it. It's not, it's not ideal. But the way of the world, you can't legislate for non-runners.
0: Right, uh, Aussie form Stevie O'Connor's asked Kev, uh, how strong is state of rest Australian form when you see the way that very elegant and others have declined? Was she in decline then,
1: Stevie? After she finished third in that Cox plate, she went and won the Melbourne Cup, best run of her life a couple of weeks later. She's clearly gone downhill since, you know, in this prep, but uh, at the time she was booming. And now the uh, old Animo hasn't done too bad, state of rest gave him 16 pounds and beat him, he's won five group one since. And, won the Cox Plate the other day. In fairness to him, he is a remarkable horse when you look at his form. Like, he started racing in Oz before he turned two, like, before he was literally two years old and, like, wow. competed in all those lightning stakes and the Golden Slipper as a two-year-old and then, you know, went really close in a, in a Cox Plate when he was still very young and, and has gone a 1-1 now. So, I'd, uh, I'd have regard for Animo. I think he's a, he's a very admirable well, horse.
0: next question is on Animo and we'll stick with you. TC, not our very own though, a different one, has... Asked, uh, given the trainer of Animo compared him to Millreef, Nijinsky, et cetera, for beating El Bodega half a length in the Cox Plate, would Joseph or someone of that stature slash ability consider setting up a satellite yard out there, as in in Australia, for October to April to mop up prize money for races one mile plus? Is that do it? I don't think it's doable over there, is it? That sort of thing, Kev?
1: Uh, they, they, in Victoria, at least, they're uh, they- <laughs> They do yeah. their best to stop it happening. They're not uh not too welcoming to international competition at the minute. But um uh yeah, sure. Look, it's in terms of those sort of comparisons, yeah, they, they wouldn't stand up to 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 great amount of scrutiny. Now, like I say, like I think he's a, he's an incredible horse, really. And um, and he's doing great things out there, but um in terms of like ratings, like he wouldn't be a, a so you think, dare I say um you know we know the level he was in oz and he came up and did it up here as well i I don't think he's at that level yet there's talk that he could travel next year which i'd be really enthusiastic about seeing um i do think he is a really really good horse but um until he meets a a higher level of opposition which he clearly would up here um yeah it's, it's just quite hard to elevate him um beyond really really good horse territory at the minute
0: okay Uh, Gerard Ryan has asked hi guys almost sacrosanct say but does anyone agree Brendan Duke question mark that Irish Champions Weekend has ruined the Coa race programme I loved National Stakes Day Moyglare Day now after thoughts on Champions Day Sunday's card now have no highlight or purpose
2: we'll answer that next September yeah Yeah. look look, I don't mind I can see his point I can
1: see his point I used to like the old programme as well but I think Champions Weekend you know while It hasn't maybe resonated as much as you'd like in terms of um crowd numbers i don't really care about crowd numbers um i think it's a i think it's a great racing product and in general i think that irish policy of of amalgamating meetings has worked really well you know flat hand national hunts so um while you know you do you do pine occasionally um i think it it was the right thing to do myself
0: yeah i would agree with that um David Brown, last question, and he does apologise for this one, but it is a good question, so we've decided to leave it in. Uh, David Brown has asked, apologies for morbid question, but when a horse is fatally injured, what happens after? Where does it get taken to? Does owners see him or her, or is it just, or, or is that just it for them? Appreciate some may not want to. Do owners get paid on insurance, as that's what I heard when I was growing up? I, I, I... Yeah.
2: Sorry, Kev, go.
1: Yeah, sure. It's a bit of a morbid answer, really, because it's, it's a slightly morbid reality. Um, in that, like, I'm, I'm pretty certain in both Britain and Ireland. You're not actually allowed to bury horses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if it was, a, even if you were really keen to, I think there might be some scope for exceptions. But in general, you're not. Um, so, uh, like, look, when when the worst comes to worst, with a horse on the track, if the owners are there, you know, a lot of them will will zoom down if they can if there is time but like in terms of what happens afterwards like most of the horses will be will be transported to an knackery um to, to be disposed of that way um which is, is you know it's not a it's not a fairy tale ending i suppose by any means but um that's the the reality of of stock um i'm afraid
0: yeah it sure is um Bit of a morbid end, courtesy of David Brown's question. Cheers Dave. So, yeah, no, it's important like, cool
2: question, isn't it? Because I, I, no, I know. I, I, I really like didn't know. I assume they went into the food chain, but I don't know. I didn't know. So, good question.
0: Yeah. No, it is, it is a good question, and I suppose one lots of people probably wonder about but never dare ask anyone, so it's good to cover these points. Um, thanks, as always, for all of your questions. We do really appreciate them. Obviously, TC puts out the tweet on a Sunday, and we get a wide variety of questions, and we do really appreciate you guys um, spending the time sending in all of your questions. It makes the show more interesting, and I hope you think that too. Uh, as always, boys, thank you so much it's been a pleasure we've rattled through everything this week we'll be back on Thursday with Racing Only Better but for now thank you very much for listening and have a good week